You guys, this strategy session is going to blow your mind. You know that emoji with the like the explosion on the top of its head? That's all I can picture. Um, so many awesome things that I just chatted about with one of our freelance accelerator from Surviving to Thriving students, also known as FAST, Freelance Accelerator from Surviving to Thriving. One of our FAST students, Elsie, um, and I just got off this amazing strategy session call, which is an opportunity that FAST students get to get on a call with me and talk about their freelance challenges one-on-one and get personalized advice. We talked about figuring out exactly what services to offer and who to offer them to, which is an area that I know a lot of people get stuck on. They're like, oh, but I can do this or I can do this and I like doing this and I like doing that and what should I do and what types of brands, blah, blah, blah. So we talked about figuring out who your customers should be and what your services are gonna be. We then dive really deep into pricing and we talk about something that I hardly ever talk about and we talk about strategies for project pricing. I really promote hourly pricing for a long list of reasons when you start out freelancing. But for Elsie, even though she is starting out as a fashion freelancer, I have suggested for her to do project pricing and we talk through why and some of the downfalls of that and when and why she might want to use project versus hourly and the pros and cons of each. So if you are stuck with anything on pricing, this conversation is going to be super valuable. And then last, we talk about portfolios, which is also a huge hot topic. Um, And we talk about... Well, we talk about throughout the conversation about how um, her portfolio needs to only be a handful of things, really niche and really small, which hopefully is a relief for you if you're like feeling like a portfolio is this massive undertaking. But um, specifically, we talk about how she can get permission from clients to use the 3D mock-ups. Her niche is going to be um, Clo, Clo 3D, doing mock-ups. Um, how she can get permission to use those inside of her portfolio because as she has experienced with a different brand, sometimes brands want to keep that stuff private and close to their chest. You know, unlike when you design a garment, you can take pictures of the finished garment um, that are then published on, you know, the brand website and catalogs and whoever whoever else, right? Um, those are, are very easy. So if you're unsure about how to have conversations with brands about what you can and can't use inside of your portfolio, this conversation is also going to blow your mind. So much good stuff. Um, what else do I have to say? Let's see. I don't even think I introduced the podcast at the beginning of this intro. I got so excited to tell you about the conversation and I didn't. This is the Successful Fashion Freelancer podcast um, where we talk about true remote freelancing, not the type of full-time permalance jobs where you have to show up five days a week and work 40 hours a week in an office, but you're air quote freelance, not getting any benefits. Uh, we're talking about true remote freelancing where you get to set your own schedule, choose your clients and have the freedom and flexibility that you deserve while working on projects that you are like truly excited about. This is how I built my career up to hundred thousand dollars a year as a fashion freelancer working remote. And this, I did this a decade ago. Um, you can do it now. This strategy session with Elsie, again, one of our fast students, you're going to love and so much to take away. Um, I also have a ton of free resources beyond the podcast that I want to make sure you get your hands on. Go and check those out at soheidi.com slash freelance, S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash freelance. We will link that in the show notes as well. 
And if you are interested in our freelance accelerator program, it opens just a few times a year. Get yourself on the email list. Follow me on Instagram to make sure that you know when it is open and when you can get access. You get the opportunity to jump on a strategy session call with me and you get anything and everything you need to kick ass as a freelancer, no matter where you live, no matter how much experience you do or don't have. With that said, let's jump into the strategy session with Elsie and talk about all the mind-blowing things that you're going to love. Here we go. Um, all right. Welcome Elsie to your strategy session, which is an opportunity that students of our freelance accelerator from surviving to thriving, also known as fast program, get access to, and you applied for the strategy session to talk through some, just some questions or maybe some places you were feeling a little bit stuck in your specific freelance career. So I want to dive into that and get you the help that you need so you can kick ass. Um, why don't you start with like a really quick introduction, a couple of sentences about who you are and what you do in fashion, and then we'll dive into the exact uh, stuff that you want to go through today on our strategy call. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Elsie Draco. I am an artist and a fashion designer. Um, I've been in the industry for about a decade So I've worked in a broad range of product categories from technical design to creative design and product development. And I've also, um, the product categories that I've worked on have included a really broad range of of products, including men's, women's, kids, uh, active wear. Primarily active and outdoor is the area that I've spent most of my career on, not necessarily by... um, that being my passion as much as it just being kind of, I fell into it. Uh, but I've had, I've had a lot of experience in the industry. And then one other thing is that, um, I've spent about two years working in 3d. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and is that, well, we'll talk about that in, as we dive in, cause I know you have mentioned, um, Clo. So, right. um, okay, great. So, so where do you want to start today? Because the, the content I have from you, I know when you had first applied for this call, which I think was like five or six weeks ago, um, to where you are now, you've gone through some of the coursework, you've done some of your informational interviews and your customer research calls, and it sounds like maybe your questions have changed a little bit. So why don't you present kind of what, what do you want to dig into with me? Yeah, yeah. So I did all of the research interviews with, um, I mostly spoke with with coworkers, past coworkers and friends that I have in the industry. And what I found was that the thing that was coming up for most of them was all the same thing. And I knew that the solution was 3d, like the the things that were coming up was, um, problem with the calendar, with not having enough time. Um, now that, now that COVID is happening, they're doing everything from home. Mm -hmm. Um, the fact that they, um, they have to go in to get samples or that their, their workload is doubling because the company cut back on roles um, in order to, you know, to, to f- stay afloat. And so I knew that was the solution. Um, but my, I think my struggle right now is I, I don't really understand how to pitch to those brands or if I should be going in a totally different direction. Like, um, for instance, the fabricant, have you heard of them? I haven't. So the fabricant does 3d designs and it's more along the lines of, um, they're like the innovators in the industry. Okay. And I actually watched a podcast um, or a, a Twitch stream that they did yesterday with um, with Fashion for Good, you know, talking about sustainability and, and 3D fashion. 
And essentially, I understand that I can, I, I, I have the background, like I have the fit experience, I have all of that, which I think is essential for somebody to, they need to understand that, um, that basis of fit and construction to really, to really be able to um, excel in this. But I think that the thing where I need support is I'm not sure how to reach out. I know I've read, I've watched through um, your videos and um, I'm, I'm not sure how to make that cross over to sell, to make the actual sale and to, to pitch it. I know that I have some work I need to do. Like I need to build up a portfolio and mm-hmm. I'm not planning on doing a 20,000 piece portfolio. Cause I, I, I know you don't advocate for that either. <laughs> I just want to show that I'm capable. Yeah. You just uh, need a handful of things. Yeah. So I guess my question for you would be, um, how do I decide who my customer is? Cause maybe I want to sell 3d items to the population. Maybe I want to sell patterns to the population. Like maybe I want to make costumes of, I love like Star Trek and Stargate and Star all of the all of the all sci-fi stars. security <laughs> thing all of the stars yeah 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 um, Batman and like all of that stuff is I'm kind of like obsessed with anime on the side so like part of me wants to do a business where I sell like printables and part of me wants to do like selling to the industry because I know I can I could do a full process from the very beginning design sketches all the way through technical and 3D and sell that as a giant, massive package. But I'm not sure that's what I want to do. And I guess, so figuring out what specifically I want to narrow down to. Okay. And then then how to reach out to those people without it being, like I've like some of the people I reached out to for the in, informational interviews, yeah. like they were my friends. And sure. as soon as I started like, hey, can we have this conversation? Like ghost. <laughs> yeah. You do have to choose your words very carefully because some people are like, oh gosh, she just is like, Desperately begging for a job. Um, that's, not, I think, like, how I don't it can want, come I don't off. want to work at that company. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So, so first of all, um, there, there's a lot, ton of templates in the, in the, inside of Fast that you can access um, for pitching and for reaching out for the informational interviews. And there, you're not always going to be successful for either one of those types of outreach, you're not going to hear back from 100% of the people and 100% of the people are going to say yes. Like some people just yeah. are like, ugh, I don't have the time or I don't have the energy or I just don't want to get on a call. I just don't want to, right? Right. Um, so, so that being said, don't feel bad if you get ghosted. It happens, right? <clears throat> We've all been guilty of ghosting other people too and who knows what the reason might be. It could um, just be busy. It could just be busy, right? Working 80 hours. So let's talk about first um, – figuring out the services that you want to offer. Um, I hear a lot of different ideas coming Mm -hmm. out of your head, which is awesome and super exciting, but we need you to focus because the more you try to do, the just the harder it becomes and the less success that you wind up having, which as you've learned that inside the program, right? right? Niche is going to skyrocket your success so much faster. We have many students who they were trying to do a little bit of everything. And then as soon as they niched, like within weeks, their results started like doing a 180 and they were hearing back and they were getting jobs. So, um, you know, it's a combination of what you want to do and what you love and what you're good at. And then also to throw into that a combination of like what you're learning in your informational interviews and your customer research, what is, what do these people need? Because that's also going to be the easiest way to get started and to get hired for your first couple projects is okay. if you can fill a need that they have, 
And, and so for me, like I, when you sent the email that you were like, oh, I'm, I'm going to, I've decided to, well, so it's interesting because this is what you wrote. So I've decided to go all in on learning Clo 3D. And then now you're kind of like, well, should I do this? And then this, I could do the whole part of the process and then also add the 3D on to the end. Um, and then you're like, well, do I do like costumes or do I do, you know, maybe active? Cause that's what your background's in. Um, and we could talk about that and I'm happy to give you my input on narrowing it down for yourself. But, um, I think. Sorry, go ahead. Go, no, no, well, what I was going to say was it sounds like you've spoken with six or seven people, which is a good chunk. It's yeah. not one or two, right? That's a decent amount. And you're seeing a trend that is telling you that offering clothes 3D services could be a really great opportunity. So if I were you, what? because here's what, we, what I want for you. And maybe you want mm-hmm. something different, so you can let me know. What I want for you is I want you to start seeing success in your freelance career ASAP. Um, and to start sending out some invoices and to start getting those projects. Listen, you can change your services in three months. If you decide, you know what, this is not really the avenue I want to go. Actually, I want to focus on costumes or I'd rather do the whole design process. I don't like just doing the 3d part because I feel really out of the loop or like whatever, or maybe you start out doing the whole process and you've realized that like, gosh, you're not really getting a lot of jobs because maybe it's just hard to pitch yourself for the whole process. Although it depends on what type of brand you want to pitch to. If you want to start pitching to startup brands, that could be very attractive for them that you do the whole process. If you're pitching to more established brands, they have probably a lot of people on staff that are doing a lot of the process and maybe they just don't have someone in-house and they don't they can't warrant having someone in-house full-time to do 3D or or who knows what. That might be just an easier slice of the whole process that they can right. outsource. So you really have to like look at all the variables um, to help you decide. And then you also have to go after like, like what's in your, there's a little bit of like what's in your heart versus Mm -hmm. like what logically makes sense on paper. And it's kind of finding a a little bit of a balance. So where does that, like, just with those little bit of thoughts, like what are you feeling right now? Yeah. So my gut, my gut has kind of been that, um, exactly what you're saying. Like, um, I would, I would love to do like selling to the public, the 3d, like the printable PDFs for their own patterns if they wanted to make like costumes, like, um, cosplay and and whatnot. But I think that what I, if I wanted to immediately start making money, I probably would be better off focusing on offering clothes 3d to the industry. I agree. And, and cause it's specialized cause they, they don't have time to learn the program if they're not learning it at work. They don't. And so, so that offers them something that's going to help them with all of their other processes and so I think that I would focus on that. I'm, do you think that it's okay for me to be open to the product category? Because I think it would be a combination of active and outerwear. Like I don't, I know that I'm probably not going to do denim sure. or Lingerie anything like or that, something. but I'm okay. Yeah. yeah. But I'm okay with like dresses and active and I don't know. And by dresses, I mean like casual dresses, not like sure. ball gowns. gowns. Yeah. Because I've worked on those things. Like basically anything <laughs> I've worked on. <laughs> Is that too, is that too broad? Like does it's, I don't think that it is. Yeah. I don't, I think that here's what I think. Um, so a couple things, um, first of all, 3d is newer to our industry. And, and as you know, the fashion industry is very slow to adopt new technology. I mean, you look at some brands, websites and it's like, are you still in like 1982? Um, right. We're very slow to adopt new technology. Um, so while, and I also think that there's been so many different 3d softwares out there, it was kind of like, 
which one's going to stick that we actually want to take the time and money to invest yeah. in a bunch of people learning, right? Like we've all been so used to Illustrator and Illustrator's around and it's not going away tomorrow. And some of these softwares, they come and go. But I think that Clo yeah. has really kind of proven to, to be here. It right. seems to have floated to the top. Um, and but, but the thing is that as much as it's floated to the top, there are still not that many people out there that have the skills. And there are brands that are starting to get pretty interested in, in getting some of the, that, the 3D into their company. Right. Um, I'll tell you a quick story of a different podcast interview I did. Um, yeah. I'm trying to remember the guest, but she told me... Um, she put clothes three, she started learning on her own and she put it on her LinkedIn and like put like one or two sample projects. And she actually, she didn't even go out and pitch. She had brands coming to her. Wow. See, that's like what I was thinking. Literally like fell thing. in her lap. And so that, so, and so I don't know this firsthand from my personal experience, but I know this from having talked to people. I, and so in my gut, I truly believe that it's in a very in-demand skill right now and and it's still very specialized, right? Yeah. So I don't think you need to, oh my gosh, I can only do active wear. I think you could do active wear. You could do, um, you know, just ca- like you said, casual dresses or whatever. I don't, I think it's um, specialized enough that you don't, like you said, you're not going to go all over the place and do denim and lingerie and gowns and stuff, but I think your category can be broader. Um because it's one specific skill set. Because it's a specific skill set. Like one of our students, um, Eleni from Greece, she does tech packs. Only tech packs, exclusively tech packs. She's crushing it. She's making like $3,000 a month in Greece, working 10 wow. to 16 hours a week, which is like about five times the hourly, the average pay wow. of a full-time designer out there. And she doesn't limit her category. So she does tech packs for, and I, I don't believe, I, I can't say this for true, but I don't believe that she does um, the POM, the points of measure, okay. but she does the technical sketches and she calls out the construction callouts and stuff. And so just like you're saying, she might not do really specialized stuff. Like she might not do purses or shoes or, you know, denim and lingerie, I think can get a little specialized, same with gowns, but as a broad scope, she does multiple categories. Yeah. So I think it's the same with you that that you could do that. And and I agree that that's going to be your fastest route to success mm-hmm. and getting projects and getting income is offer that one slice of the, the process. It's a great service that brands don't currently have in-house yet they want. Um, I just think it's going to be a really easy win for you. Yeah. Okay. That's great. And then I have one other question for yeah, you. Yeah, go ahead. Of course. This is always one that I think is hard to ask. Um, and part of the reason I want to ask is for myself, but also for the rest of the industry. Yeah, and go I ahead. Think it's, I think it's, um, this is an important one. It's, it's around the price that we're asking for. Because what I have <laughs> noticed, and maybe it's just me, especially with the pandemic, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of the industry is really kind of lowballing people for full-time job offers or full-time mm-hmm. positions. Mm-hmm. And I, I really hate seeing that because like, I mean, I've seen job postings that I wouldn't even apply for because it was like they were going to pay $40,000 and they want 10 years of experience. Like not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so I guess my question for you is for this kind of thing, it's in demand, 
But I've seen job offer. I've seen job postings for this as a full time role, and I'm like, this the the salary is pittance for the skill set. So, I mean, am I am I um, being realistic in in expecting a number that would be equivalent to someone with ten years of experience for myself? Like, if I if you go on Google and you search what does an average designer make? Yeah, yeah. Then there, there's an average number, and I believe that I'm better than average. Sure. And, um, uh, but even with that, like I don't, I see full time roles for 3D, and they're paying way less than what I think people should be getting. So, am I being unreasonable, or is it something that because I'm going to do freelance that I can, I can demand more and become really specialized at this specific thing? Right. So, first of all, I love this question, and I'm really glad you asked it, even though it maybe felt a little hard for you. Um, a couple things. First, there's always going to be bottom of the barrel cheap brands out there, right? In any industry, there's always the companies that want to pay so little. And there are certain people that will take those roles. And and guess what? They probably get mediocre employees and they probably have really high turnover. So there's right. always those brands. But there are brands, and, and I think in fashion, and there's other industries that have um, uh, similar sort of I don't want to say stereotypes because it actually, I think, can be true, but just similar sort of businesses operate similarly. And so in fashion, there's a really, really big, excuse me, stereotype that, that brands are cheap. And guess what? There are a lot of brands that are cheap, but there's a lot of brands too that are willing to pay and happy to pay for the right talent and the right skill right. and the quality freelancer. And what I what I mean when I say quality freelancer, it's the freelancer that shows up on time, that delivers on time, that actually does what they say they're going to do because guess what? Most people don't do that. It's like a foundational skill that the majority of the population just doesn't have. Right. Um, so, so first of all, I absolutely think I absolutely know you can get the rate. There's going to be brands out there that aren't your customer, and that's fine. Okay? There's going to be brands out there that are your customer and that are going to pay the rate. And guess what? Those are typically the brands that are much more pleasant to work with. They tend to be a little bit less abusive than the brands that just want the cheap, cheap, cheap. It, that's, it's a shit client, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So so that being said, um, and, and especially right now, you're not seeing um, – you know, the pandemic has been hard on the industry. We know this. Um, but let's see, it's, so we're recording this end of June, 2021. So the pandemic's been like 15 months or something like that, 16 months, however long. Um, we have seen multiple, multiple, multiple freelancers go through fast and get very comfortable, fair wages during the pandemic. I have seen very few people land and secure new full-time jobs at comfortable wages. I think that what's happening, brands are are gun-shy to hire that 10-year experience um, person at probably a six-figure salary right. because that's like a six-figure commitment. Plus, beyond that, they're paying unemployment tax and benefits and insurance and paid time, all the things, right? So Mm -hmm. that's a very large um, risk for the brand. So those we're not seeing those jobs out there right now because people are a little bit tight with the risks that they're willing to take. But hiring a freelancer like yourself for a comparable rate um, is a completely different ballgame. They don't have that huge overhead commitment to you. 
They've got right. that one project commitment. So it's a completely different ballgame. Um, second to that, here's what I'll say. Um, a lot of the stuff that I talk about in in content in the business, on on podcasts, on webinars, and in, in my freelance book, um, as well as inside of the FAST program, is start with hourly. I say that because it tends to be really simple for people and it's very understandable from the, the freelancer's perspective. Um, that being said, I also say it because as a new freelancer, it can be very, very, very easy to underbid a project and then you get way in over your head and you wind up working for like pennies and it's really a tough situation. And then yeah. and then beyond that, as a new freelancer, it's very, it could be a very confrontational or feel like a very confrontational conversation to have with your client when you're like, oh my gosh, I really messed up and I worked 30 hours when I thought it was going to take five. And so they never wind up having that conversation. And so then the brand thinks, oh, that when we hire them again, it should only cost three hours or, you know, that amount. Right. They So, and these are challenging conversations to have. Now we have templates and I talk through very detailed how you have these conversations. When you underbid a project, especially when you're project-based, how to go back and have a conversation with your client and explain it to them in a way that feels good for both of you and you, you can adjust and course correct going forward. So that's why I really advise the hourly pricing. However, I say it with a little bit of a disclaimer that for someone like you with a certain skill set and a certain base of experience, your hourly rate on paper can, I think, feel intimidating Maybe to you, maybe also to the client. Although I know freelancers that like literally on paper charge $150 up to $300 an hour and they get it. So so there yeah. are brands out there that pay. So that being said, a very long-winded way to say, um, but I did think all those points were really important, not just for you, but also for people listening. Um, maybe you try project-based pricing because at the end of the day, sometimes it's less of like what the hourly rate is because that can scare them away when it gets to a certain dollar. Again, some brands will pay it and that's fine. Um, but maybe you start with project because for them, what's the value of getting that output of the 3D um, design? It could be potentially very high, right? It's going to save them a ton of time. It's going to save them literal hard cash in fewer prototypes and development. Um not only does it save cash in that way, but it saves their team cash and it just takes less manpower hours to go back and forth between different prototypes and back and forth with the factory and stuff. That's literal hours. Um, yeah. So the months value, even. what's that? Months. Can, yes. It months. can be months even. It can yeah, be months. Totally. Like exactly. So I think that with something like you're offering at a price point that in my head, I imagine you're probably leaning towards based on your depth of experience. Um, maybe project pricing could work better for you because then they just see the flat rate and they see the value attached to what they're they're going to get right. and when you when you present it to them and when you do your proposal um, you're going to talk about that value. It's going to, you know, and, and this, again, we document, this is all documented inside um, fast and templates and whatnot that you can ac- get access to, but you're going to present it with that value attached. So it's like, um, and I'm just going to riff this here off the top of my head, but it's like, um, you know, I'll present you with 3D mock-ups, blah, 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 that are going to help increase production, uh, speed up the development timeline and decrease the amount of protos and back and forth that you need. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, um, I'm kind of flubbing on this right here. Uh, 
You, you've got saving it. Saving you that's time, exactly what... saving you time and, and hard cash, and and also helping to contribute to the sustainable mission of you know the sustainable um, aspect that you want to bring into your company. Because a lot of companies right now, like they want to be sustainable, but it's it can I think feel like a big undertaking. So this to yeah. me is a really quick and easy way to they don't have to source new. You know maybe their fabrics are still not the best and most sustainable, which we know a lot of fabrics in fashion are not. Um, and so that's fine because that could be a crazy big thing for a brand to change. Um, and and you could slowly adopt it. But this is like a really good quick win sustainable thing for them to decrease the amount of production and, and development and protos and samples that just sometimes wind up going in the trash because they're made out of available fabrics and they're like wacky and they don't fit that well, blah, 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 right? right. So, um, so once you attach that value directly in the communication that you have with them, whether you're talking to them on the phone or, you know, you're going back and forth in email and then you put together the proposal and you kind of, you just keep reminding them that value, that price that they see then as a project rate related to what they're going to get. At the end of the day, you know what? They don't really care how many hours it takes you. They care about getting that result. So you might be better off going that route. How does that feel? Well, and I think that that, um, that makes sense to me. I think project based makes me a little nervous just because, and I, I know that I, I know you, I believe you covered this in the course and I haven't gotten to this section yet, yeah. but, um, you know, sometimes they want like changes cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of indecision in the industry. Yes. Um, and I've worked for companies where they, they call something a, a change and it's actually a complete redesign and they do like 12 <laughs> redesigns and it's actually, no, we're just overdeveloping by 500, yeah, yeah, yeah. 600%. I um, I mean, I'm exaggerating on the numbers, but the one company I'm thinking of actually did like 800% over development, <laughs> which was ridiculous. Um, and so I guess my thought on that is that project-based, first project-based makes sense because of the perspective of if I charge them hourly, what they're getting, they're not getting my hours. They're getting the value of what comes with that time. Like I've been in the industry for a decade. I, I have know, experience I in know. all these areas and I'm bringing you that it, yeah. knowledge base with yep. me, which they might not see if I give a number that's just completely seems extreme to them. Um, and then I guess the the other side of it is that I probably need to find a way to create boundaries in how many revisions I'm yes. making because otherwise they could ask for you know, they could ask for those revisions and get five different things when they only, they only paid for one. You exactly. Know? So this is where like, and, and listen, pricing is an art. It's not a science. Right. Um, you, I have messed up. On, I don't know if you've gotten to this part in the course, but there's, there's a story I tell where it was about like four or five years into my career and I botched pricing on a huge project. Like I bid it at five thousand, and it probably should have been like a ten or twelve thousand dollar project. And wow. long roundabout story of why it happened doesn't matter. Um, I learned from the experience, and that was like five years in. And and so so and I, I've taught a lot of this in the course to help oh. hopefully help prevent you from going through that. But here's the thing, I could and I, I've said this a kajillion times um, to to various people in various settings as far as freelancing goes. I could teach you all the pricing things in the world. I could run through every scenario with you. I could consult with you on every single proposal that you send out and every project that you bid. And you're still going to have a learning curve. Like it just, it's like a rite of passage for being a freelancer. Right. So you, um, 
And so then it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. Or I'm not sure if that's even the right phrase, but it's like like you just said, okay, I could go in hourly, but they might be freaked out by the number, or I could go in, but but that makes it a little more secure for you as a freelancer because you're like, okay, well, I'm going to get paid for the hour. So if they ask for 800 revisions, then I'm just like, well, that's fine. You're paying me hourly. I'll just keep doing them. Um, so that's you know pros and cons to that. But then pros and cons to the project, right, like we talked about is um, – if they start to ask for a lot of revisions. So a couple of things are going to happen. One, you need to put in the proposal and in the, the contract that you're going to give them X number of revisions. However you decide that many should be, three, four, two, I don't care. Probably two to four is probably very reasonable. Um, and then at the bottom of the invoice, and we've got templates for this inside, inside of FAST, it's, you know, any additional services beyond what's outlined in the scope of this proposal um, will be bid, uh, you know, will be charged at an hourly rate of X. Some people do that. Even if they do project rate, they just say, listen, I can just do extra hours for X dollars an hour. Or some people say, like, I'll just put together another project proposal for you. So, um, so that's one way you can do it. But then it comes down to, like I said a minute ago, it really comes down to your ability as a freelancer to step up and to have that and I'm going to say confrontation because I don't want it to come off with a negative tone but I think for a lot of people it can feel like that of like hey client um you're going beyond what we had proposed what it was in the proposal I'm going to need to charge you for that like that can be a really hard conversation to have there's well much more delicate ways to say it than I just did that's not how you say it (laughs) um and then there's also a really fine line for you as the freelancer to decide when do you say something versus when do you not say something we want to be mindful of like nickel and diming people right and, and I talk about relationships and building relationships and just doing an exceptional job and really caring about taking care of the client. And then there's a fine line between the client just asking you for one more change and then the client taking advantage of you. There's a fine line. And sometimes they may not even realize it. Like they just saw the proposal and they signed it and they sent you 50% deposit down and they don't even remember that there's three revisions and now they're on revision five. And they're just, they just know they need to get the design right. And they're not in their head. They forgot about that. So, you know, there, like I said, there's delicate ways to have that conversation and to approach that with the client and you'll learn, guess what? You'll fuck it up and you'll learn and you'll, you'll look back and you'll be like, okay, I could have done this better. And you can have that conversation with the client after the fact, and you can let them know that maybe you made a mistake so that going forward, it's going to be this, 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 and this. And again, there's templates in there and videos talk about like how, what exactly you should say and when there's a strategic time when you have that conversation. Um, so I think for you, what, what I would advise for you, I think you're a strong enough, um, person and you're strong enough in the industry. My gut says, you know what? Charge the project. Put the number of revisions in there. Use your gut to initiate a conversation, to decide whether or not you initiate a conversation if the revisions start to feel like they're getting excessive. You know, maybe you put three in there, but the client's been like so easy to work with and they're really great. And and the, the price of the project is very comfortable. Like they didn't try to negotiate you down on the pricing, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and they asked for a fourth revision, but they're, they're, they've been within reason. Then just do it, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, and, and your gut will tell you 
Like, is it's this a fair exchange of value? Yes. So if I feel like it's a good value. Like, yeah, like we're building a good relationship. I enjoy working with them. That I feel yeah. like I'm getting value there. That I'm valued. Totally. And that I'm getting value from the work itself. I totally, I totally understand what you're saying because it's not. I think that kind of boils down to the mindset thing where a lot of people think that it's this scary thing to ask for money, but mm-hmm. really it's about an exchange of value and it money is. is just a socially accepted exchange of value. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So, you know, and then one other thing, one other tip, and, and I do talk about this in the course again as well, yeah. but is um, let's say they, they're, they're a great client. Things are going really, really well. You do the fourth revision, even though the proposal only said um, three. Um, then they jump onto the fifth one, and you're like, okay, we're kind of starting to push it. Then maybe you can just say something and, and you know, just, hey, you know, I'm really excited about this project, and I want to absolutely make sure that you're super, super happy with where it lands, at, lands and I, I know that it needs to be perfect, and obviously this is tied to, um, you know, this design being executed well in production and minimizing the amount of waste and, and time and money and stuff. Um, I just want to give you a quick reminder that, you know, we had agreed originally in the proposal to three revisions. Um, we did just wrap up the fourth, which I happily did because it was no big deal, but any more beyond this, um, I can either, uh, you know, I, I am a business as well and I just need to make sure that this is a fair exchange. You could even say that a fair exchange of value from both perspectives. And so I can either give you a proposal for another three rounds of changes or one round of change, or I can charge you a flat hourly rate, blah, 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 however you want to do it. Um, and so those are kind of some of the words you can use. And here's the thing. A lot of people are really scared to have that conversation. But in my personal experience and in the experience of our FAST students, they are pleasantly surprised when the brand is like, okay, no problem. Right. And it happens so much more often. You're doing them a service when you're offering them that because they might not really have the time to think about like, oh, I need to, I need to uh, switch the project or, Oh, I need to, um, ask for more. Cause they're just focused on like, I've got deadlines. I've got things I need exactly. to do. This is what needs to be done. They might not even realize that they've gone past the, they number don't, of they typically don't. And they're very grateful when you let them know using the right tone and the right words. Right. Um, and I find these conversations are much better over the phone or over zoom yeah. than an email. Um, which I then I think can make people even more uncomfortable, but they just come off better because like yeah. I said, you can choose your tone. So, um, and listen, you're going to learn and you're going to mess some up and that's okay. Everybody messes them up. Um, and you'll get better and you'll do better next time. So if yeah. I were you, I would start Clo3 3D for established somewhat established brands offering that specific service, your, your category description that you mentioned earlier sounds good. And I would do project. And so I would build up your portfolio with a handful of designs that fit into that category. Maybe, you know, two dresses, two active pieces, two outerwear. So do six pieces. And then depending on who you're pitching to, you'll show them different pieces. If dresses make more sense, then show them the dresses. Right. Um, and, or maybe you just change the order that they're in in your portfolio. You have the dresses and then the active and then the uh, whatever the other category was. Um, so do that. And then and, and as you're, you're putting together your portfolio, get a rough estimate in your head. Okay, this takes me five hours and my hourly rate, I would like it to be blah, blah, blah. 
would for easy numbers here, we'll just say a hundred dollars an hour. Um, so that puts it at five hundred. Well, to me, that actually starts to feel pretty cheap for a three D mock-up. Yeah. If once you attach, so the hundred dollars an hour might feel expensive, or even one hundred and fifty dollars an hour might feel expensive. Once you attach, and I don't know if it's five hours, maybe it's more. I, I haven't done three D to be honest. Um, it takes once longer you, than Claude than Claude estimates. Like they're like two hours for a really complex design. <laughs> <laughs> maybe if Browse, they, if maybe if you're the one the that like wrote the software. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So then. Go. You can all of a sudden, and then this is one of the benefits of charging hourly is that it's it's attached to the value and not necessarily the hourly. And so then you, with your expertise, and because you've invested all this time and you have all this experience in the industry, you're not getting paid that flat hourly rate. You're getting paid for value, which didn't just take you five hours, took you decades and your education and all the all the stuff, right? Right. So um, so now just these numbers I threw out again. I don't know if they're even in the ballpark, but so five hundred dollars right. for five hours for a three D mock up. Um, might feel a little cheap, right? So right. maybe you charge seven fifty, or I don't even know nine hundred is the right price. I don't know what the right price is to be honest. Right. Um, I'm not in the three D market at all right now, but um, and you can play with the pricing. So um, I never did this extensively in my career, but um, a a very, very, very successful freelancer who I've had on the podcast a couple times, Marissa Borelli. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, she, like, made $300,000 a year uh, in her most recent year that I interviewed her on the podcast, working four days a week. Like, she's crushing, crushing, crushing it. Um, and she told me that she just kept increasing the price and increasing the price and increasing the price. And just kind of with her gut was kind of feeling what, how the clients were reacting. And she's like, I just kept put, and she charges three. So it, when she charges flat hours, she charges $300 an hour and she gets it and she gets it from established brands and she gets it from startups even too. And so, um, there are brands out there. You, they're not every brand. Um, and so I think on some level pricing is a little bit of an experiment. So, you know, you've got some learning curve on Clo and, and, Maybe you start out a little bit lower just to make those first projects easier to get. And then you slowly toy with increasing the price, increasing the price. And then you'll feel when they start to really kick back and you'll feel like, okay, maybe I've reached the threshold. Um, and she told me she's felt like she reached the threshold at about the $300 an hour mark. She's like, I don't think I can go any higher. I was like, girl, you're crushing it. That's like lawyer rates. Um, <laughs> but um, um, so I think you can just play with it. Um, and here's the thing too. You can increase your price with existing clients too. There are scripts inside of Fast of how to do this. And I have done it in the past and I know other freelancers have done it and Fast students have done it. And just like telling them that they're beyond their number of revisions and they need to pay more, these conversations tend to go very smoothly and they are happy to pay because by then you've proven that you are an awesome freelancer to work with, that you deliver on time, that they don't wake up in the middle of the night thinking, oh God, is Elsie going to get us the thing? And they're frantic because if you don't get them the thing, then they're, it's on their ass and they have a deadline, blah, blah, blah. That stress is like worth money to them. And so that's why they're happy to pay. And when you do a price increase, it's like no big. So that's kind of where you might want to think about it Um, to make these few projects a no-brainer and to get your first few official projects in CLO in the industry for actual designs and products. Maybe you start, and I say a little bit on the lower, but I think depending on the hours, it still could be a very comfortable wage. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but then you can start increasing attached to that value, the perceived value of it. So right. how does all that feel? It, it feels good. It, I mean, the not, I'm, I'm surprised that I'm not scared off by the higher numbers, but then I realized like if this is very high in demand, then just looking at it from an economic standpoint, like supply and demand, if yeah, I totally. was, if I was charging a hundred dollars, but I'm inundated with requests, then I'm going to need to raise my prices. Exactly. Uh, because I'm going to have to be choosy on, you know, pick and choose which clients I want to work with. Also, um, the, the benefit of freelancing and part of the reason why I felt comfortable with investing in this course, cause I know one, you have so much knowledge and it's absolutely worth the price, um, for, cause I've done your other courses, some of your other courses as well. Um, but my, I lost my train of thought there. Uh, <laughs> just, <laughs> you were saying, um, uh, the gosh, the cost, I, I think, the, the reason why I felt like I could invest in this is because I know that I believe, I, I, I fully, I decided that I was going to be fully like believing in what I can do yeah. and also recognizing that the benefit of freelancing is that I get to choose and yes. I don't have to feel like I'm um, beholden to someone else's schedule or someone else's rules. And if I don't feel comfortable with a client, I can fire always <laughs> say, uh, yeah, exactly. That I can, fi- and I, I don't know if I like the phrase of firing them, but sure. yeah, okay, fair. I can, I can, um, you know, let them go with peace. <laughs> yeah. Say it's not, it's not really a good match. I'm going to swipe left or right. I don't yeah, know which way you swipe, exactly. but <laughs> exactly. yeah. Um, yeah. you were saying too, that, um, you're surprised you weren't feeling uncomfortable with some of the numbers that we were talking about. Yeah. At first I thought that I would feel uncomfortable with it, but I think what has, what I've come to is that, um, there's a, there is a salary range in the industry that I believe that, that I provide exponential value if I were making that salary. If I, when I convert that to freelance, um, you know, we're doing, we've got a lot of out of pocket. We have taxes we have to pay. We have to get our own health insurance. There's so many other things. So yep. you know, there's a lot of cost that's involved with it. But ultimately the thing that I, one of my top values is freedom. And, and I don't mean that in like a, like a stereotypical way. I mean, just having that flexibility to be mm-hmm. able to choose and so that I can have the time to spend um, you know, I, I really do love, I really do love this industry and I really do love what I do. And at the same time, I have other goals and other visions and dreams that I want to accomplish. And I can't do that working 60 to 80 hours a week. I mean, I can, but it's going to take a long time to get those things off the ground. So if I could command a rate that I feel like I'm adding that value and I'm, I'm allowing, um, you know, giving them the value because it, you, I want, I want them to feel just as good about it as I do. Um, then, then that will, that will leave a little more room for me to operate on projects that are my passion projects, which yeah. you know, include my art, include my YouTube, the things that I'm doing. I mean, I'm not by any means at this point yet a professional level filmmaker, but <laughs> I, I've, I've had the time during the pandemic to focus on these things and it really ignited my, um, my love for other creative avenues. And for a little while I was separating fashion from art, kind of like they were two separate sides of me. And just recently I kind of like put two and two together and realized that this is all art. 
and it's just a different medium. And if I can allow myself to add the, to give the value that I know that I can really give with this, with this service, then it will open up so many other opportunities for me to grow in other creative areas of my life and other passion projects where I might not even need to charge for those things, but it's just more because I want to do those things because I love it. Right. Right. And this is, I mean, like you said, you can do it alongside a 68 hour to 80 hour a week job, but it's really, really hard. Um, and this avenue that you're going down with freelancing is going to provide you with the flexibility and the freedom and the time and the, even just the extra mental space to pursue all that. It will, it will, it will. Um, the beginning can be a a bit of work. It's, you, you don't just flip a switch and then all of a sudden you're up and running. Right. Right. Um, so it might not be in the first three months, but you'll get to the point where like the clients just come to you and you have more work than you can handle and you really get to pick and choose, um, when you follow the strategies and fast and when you do an exceptional job, which I know that you will, it literally just snowballs. So, um, I think you're set Elsie. I think you start Thank with you. Chloe, like we talked about and you do the, do the project pricing. I think you, I think you're going to have better success with that and, and learn and adjust okay. and don't be afraid to increase your price with certain clients and use the scripts inside of the program, um, to do that. And to have success with that, and you're going to kick ass. And then you. in oh. three or six months, okay. if you are like feeling like you're not loving it, then make some pivots and adjust and add on services or change services or offer it to a different category or like whatever. But I just want to see you get started right now, like Absolutely. tomorrow. Okay. And this is, yeah. I think, this is, I, th- I think this is your sweet spot. I think I'm going to be, I'm going to, my, my plan for the day, actually, on my to-do list, I have, um, I've been working in Clo, just learning the program for the past week. And so as soon as we get off the call, I'm going to be spending some time doing that. Um, I have one more question for you and Mm -hmm. I almost forgot to ask it, but I'm glad that I thought of this. So because I want, I really want to grow in my 3d skills and in my skills as an artist and in branding myself in this category. And I think that this 3d apparel has so much room to grow because it's really kind of new for the Mm -hmm. industry and for the world. Like Mm -hmm. we have all these filters out there. There are ways that people could eventually like try on digital clothing. So how would would you suggest that I incorporate like asking these brands, I would love to make it more of a collaboration so that when they release it, that I can release something like showing the process of making the 3D or um, kind of incorporating 3D. I'm not, I'm not yet you know, comfortable enough to say that I'm going to do like, um, in a 3d environment, but I do believe that I can learn that at some point. So how would you recommend that I ask them to incorporate that in a, um, in the, the contract so that I can say, Hey, when you release this, first of all, sometimes they may drop the style and it might not ever go right. Like, and I get that, but, but how could I include that to kind of, um, make it more of a collaboration because it could also be kind of something cool that they could share too. They could use as like a really cool promotional tool to promote the behind the scenes process. And it's almost like bragging rights of like, look at what we're doing and this is saving X amount of fabric from the landfills and X amount of uh, fossil fuels because we're not shipping samples back and forth to China, blah, 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 all that thing. Right. So I think that is going to be, first of all, it's going to depend on the brand. 
right? right? Some brands are really hold their cards tight to their chest and it's just going to be a non-option. Right. So I wouldn't suggest you like upfront hard and cut and dry, like put that into any type of like initial correspondence with the proposal and the contract and stuff. I think okay. it's, it's more going to be a voice-to-voice conversation and a relationship building that you feel out. And so what I would do is, um, first of all, you know, once you kickstart the relationship with the brand, I would feel it out. And maybe you don't do it on the first project. Like this is just going to be a gut instinct thing you're going to have yeah. to go with. Um, maybe you don't do it on the first project. Or if you are going to pitch it, I would pitch it first with um, – the concept of how they can use it to promote their brand and their sustainability and their development process, right? So some yeah. brands, a lot of startups now more, are really showcasing the behind-the-scenes process, right? Because it's like a cool thing and it really helps the customer or the, even if they don't wind up becoming a customer, the 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 person that's kind of following along um, makes them feel like they're part of the process. They get a little behind-the-scenes look. So, um, but, but more established brands are not necessarily – some are doing it too – but not all of them. And so if they're not doing it, maybe you could pitch it as like, hey, you know, I I think this is a really cool thing that you're adopting. You're saving textiles from the landfill, all the value things, blah, 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 right, that we just went through. Um, It'd be super cool, I think, to let your customers and let your Instagram followers and your email list, if if they do that, into the behind the scenes a little bit. And, and so then you're actually adding value to them because you're giving them an idea of how they can not only promote but create engagement in their audience um, when they introduce the 3D, right? Right. And then once it kind of becomes public, I think it could be much more casual for you to be like, you know, once this um, – I'd really love to showcase this in my portfolio. I'm so proud of how it came out and I know, you know, that you've made this public, blah, blah, blah. Um, once the style hits the market or at this point, maybe it already has hit the market cause they've promoted it. Is it okay if I use this? And typically once the style hits the market, it's okay. But the 3d thing is following into a unique category. Like you said earlier. Um, and if you, and if they don't want to adopt it, um, that they don't want to adopt that idea of, you know, promoting the whole thing because maybe it just doesn't align with their marketing strategy or who knows what, um, I think you can still just ask and say, you know, um, I've worked for brands in the past where they really kept the 3D behind the scenes. Um, I, as you know, I'm 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 building and growing as a freelancer, and once this style hits the market, would it be okay if I use this image, this image, this image? Like, and you're very specific about what you will and maybe won't show in the portfolio. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, um, and so at that point, what can happen is. And then if they agree to it in voice to voice, then I would just f- say, you know, I'm going to follow up with a quick email and just confirm that this is okay. So then you have something in writing. Right. Um, and all you need to do is just a quick email say, I'm, you know, I just wanted to follow up for our conversation. Um, you know, thank you so much for giving your permission to use this image, this image, this image, maybe you attach them in my portfolio um, once the style has is available in the mass market. Um, can you just reply to this email with a yes to confirm that this is true or correct? And then all they have to do is say yes. So you make it super easy for them, but now you have it in paper. Okay, that makes sense. But it's really a relationship and a conversation at the beginning. And here's the thing. As a freelancer, once you start working with these clients, they start to care about you as a person too. Um, You build these really really great rapport and they, they, they're rooting for you just as much as you're there rooting for them. And, and, 
you know, sometimes it almost even can become like a little bit of a friendship. And so they, you know, with the clients that, that, you know, like you said, some clients don't match up and you need to very friend in a very friendly manner, say, bye-bye, this isn't working. I won't use the F word like you didn't like. (laughs) Um, but, um, I think that, uh, the clients that are good, which there are many and plenty of out there, um, you're going to ask them and they're going to be excited to let you yeah. do it. Some won't because it just, maybe it's a really big brand and they really can't go against it. Maybe them as a person level want to let you, but it goes against company policy or something, but you'll find some that will. And it just, it's a relationship and a conversation and then you follow up in writing and then done and done. And then also you can pitch them the idea of how they could use it in their marketing um, because then you're adding value to them by giving them I, that idea. They may not have thought about that and be like, right. no, you know what, from a customer's perspective, this is really cool to know about. And they might just not think about that. Right. So there's a okay. multitude of ways you can go about it, but I think it's a little bit later in the process, like after the project has started and probably once the project has wrapped okay. and you've done an exceptional job, they're really, really pleased with you. And then you just have it like over a phone call or a Zoom or, and you, and you just tack it onto a meeting that you're already having. Okay. So I suppose if later on I had built up a following and then it would make more sense because then it would be like pitching a collaboration in the beginning. But when this is, when the, the Oh, I see. When the yeah. work is, when the work, well, I'm not there yet. I have like 61 subscribers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Um, when the work is primarily actually working with them on the development process of 3D, then it makes more sense. I, I should definitely focus more on giving them the value. And then once I've built that relationship, ask them, is it okay if I show this in my portfolio? Correct. And so I misunderstood the question a little bit more on the portfolio side, but the collaboration side is, is I think a very similar conversation and potentially could even add more value to them. You know, once you've built up your, your audience, because then it's like, Hey, I'm going to promote this for you as well, which they should hopefully be excited about. Okay. Yeah. Wow. This is, thank you. This is so helpful. Yeah, of course. Um, we went through a lot. This was fun. We went through picking your services. We went through pricing, which is always a hot topic for everybody. So I love digging into that and portfolios slash collaboration, but I, I'm going to package it up as portfolios. So that was really, um, that was a good one. Again, another super hot topic. So people are going to get tremendous value out of this, Elsie. I know it, and I hope you have as well. Um, I did. What Thank exactly you. are your next action steps in the next um, one to two weeks? Sure. So I have put on my to-do list that I am going to be spending the majority of my time. I've set aside all of my side projects right now. So like I'm not taking any other freelance projects Smart. for branding or graphics at this point. Okay. And I'm just focusing on Clo. So okay. I'd like to build up my, my Clo portfolio. And then I'm planning on building my website with the portfolio. So I'm basically revamping my entire website. Okay. Um, to, simple. to show that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When, when I say revamp, I mean literally just showing the 3D and not having the 20 million projects that I did over the Smart. past 10 years. Smart. Very narrow and focused. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Awesome. Amazing. Here's what I want you to do um, in the next 24 hours. I want you to go into the peer chat group, the private student group inside of FAST, and I want you to share your experience on this strategy session, and I want you to um, 
tell everybody a little bit about sort of, you know, what we talked about. And obviously this does air and people get to listen to it, but I, I think there's a lot of value for other students of the program um, to hear directly from your mouth, you know, where you were at the beginning of the call, what you were struggling with, and then what are some of the strategies that, that you and I worked through to help you get through those challenges? Because I, there's, I guarantee you there's other students that are having the same sort of thoughts and they're stuck in the same thing. So Absolutely. if you can go add that value to the group, um, hugely appreciated, um, not just by me, but by the other members. Yeah. And this is, is that- at the end of the day, we all have to help each other do this. Is that in the Facebook group? I don't That's think the I've... Facebook group. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the private I will Facebook go ahead group. In there. Yes. I don't I don't use Facebook for personal reasons, but I do have an account just for accessing groups and um, totally fair. business. That, yeah. And believe me you, I'm like Facebook fudge. <laughs> but it's like the one it's like forever it's like the one place that we could just get people to like all be together and do the thing and so I hate to have it there too, but that's just the path of least resistance. Yeah. So I'm please do that. Be. Yes, I appreciate it and the other students will appreciate it as well. Um, keep us updated. You're going to kick ass. I know it. And, um, I mean, I'm, I'm waiting for like an update with your first couple of clients in like the next month to two max. I think you're going to just go out there and crush it. I know you are. Thank you. I, that's my goal is to get my website and my, my portfolio in, in a month or two, I'm giving myself a little flex time, but yeah, I was, ho- I'm hoping that by next month, by July, I'll have already um, started booking clients specifically yes, in 3d can. and less so in the, the graphic design. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Awesome. You're doing great. Keep us updated and, um, thanks for hopping on this call. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to this strategy session on the Successful Fashion Freelancer podcast. And what do I have to say? Uh, That was awesome. I hope that that blew your mind as much as it it was super fun to have that conversation. Um, And I hope that you got a lot of value out of that. If you want to check out our additional free resources for freelancers just for fashion, um, click the link in the show notes to go over to soheidi.com slash freelance, S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash freelance. Um, get yourself on the email list. You will find out, you will first of all get a ton of free resources and stuff that you only see there. Um, you will also learn about when our freelance accelerator from surviving to thriving fast program opens for enrollment just a handful of times a year. And come say hi. I'd love to get to meet you. Um, You can also follow along on Instagram. I'm moderately active there. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. Also, if you love this episode, give us a a write-up. A write... Is it a write-up? No. A review or a rating. Boy, I'm loving my words. It's the end of a day. It's been a long day, you guys. Um, An Apple podcast. Super, super appreciated. And beyond that, oh gosh, I've gotten a little off kilter on my intros and outros. I'm playing with them a little bit. I'd like them to be a little more organic and friendly. Um, They used to be more structured. So we'll see how this goes over. Um, Big, huge shout out to my kick-ass right-hand rock star, Tara behind the scenes, who does so much to make this show possible and coordinating the guests and getting everything scheduled, so on and so forth, as well as my husband, Mark, who does all the editing and make sure that the show sounds nice in your earbuds or in your car speakers or wherever you are listening. So that being said, thank you to those two people and thank you to you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. 
go out there, kick ass in your freelance career. You got this. There is so much work and so much opportunity out there. The pandemic has only amplified this and I want to help you succeed. So check out those free resources, follow me on Instagram, get on the email list and let's do this together. All right. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.